Good morning. Welcome this 21st Sunday after Pentecost to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. This is my favorite kind of morning. It has no rain, it's overcast, and there was no frost on my windows, all of which I think makes for a perfect day, a day the Lord has made. Just a few reminders before we begin our worship service this morning. As always, we ask that you silence your phones as a gift to yourself and to your neighbor. Next, if, uh, if you wish, we continue to observe COVID protocols. We have masks out in the narthex and communables if you wish to receive communion from your pew. We also, of course, have sanitizer, so if you are receiving communion at the rails, be sure to take some of that on your way up. Our message this morning will look at the teachings of Jesus. Our gathering hymn, Lift Every Voice and Sing, is number 841 in the red hymnal. Please rise as you are able.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the reign of God and for peace throughout the world, for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For your people here who have come to give you praise, for the strength to live your word, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, and defend us, O God. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God of all people, from one ancestor you made all the nations to inhabit the earth. Created by you, help us to live in your image. Created for you, help us to act for your glory. Redeemed by you, help us to live for others. 
Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, this is the first reading from Isaiah 45 on the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. The prophet announces that Cyrus the Persian Empire Emperor is the one the Lord has anointed to end Israel's exile. The Lord makes this choice so that the whole world will recognize this Lord as the only God. Persia has a God of light and a God of darkness. The Lord claims sovereignty over both light and darkness. A reading from the book of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and strip kings of their robes to open doors before him, and the gates shall not be closed. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the riches hidden in secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, and who call you by your name, for sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I can call you by your name. I surname you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other beside me. There is no God. I arm you, though you do not know me, so that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other form, light, and create darkness. I make weal and create woe. I, the Lord, do all these things. Word of God, word of life.
The second reading is from Thessalonians 1, verses 1 through 10. Most likely, this letter is the first written by Paul. Paul gives pastoral encouragement and reassurances to Christians living in an antagonistic environment. Their commitment of faith, love, and hope makes them a model for other new Christian communities. A reading from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to the Lord for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about, report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Word of God, word of life. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperors. 
Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Gospels of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, the creator, and from Jesus, who is the Christ of God, God's life in the world. Amen. Last week, we heard about the parable of the wedding banquet, the parable of the wedding banquet. A a parable, as you may know or recall, is a short story with a subversive teaching, This parable was also an allegory, or an allegorical parable. An allegory, as you know, is a story with two different levels of meaning, the surface narrative and then what uh, lies beneath. To decode an allegory, you need to know two things. First, the original context of the writing. In this case, Matthew's Gospel, which was written about 10 years after the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD. You also need to know something about the audience, that is, the people to whom Matthew was writing when he shared his version of the story of Jesus. These were primarily Jewish Christians who were experiencing lack of spirit, or they were poor in spirit, as we learn earlier in Matthew, because, among other things, their central place of worship, the temple, had recently been destroyed. Knowing context, therefore, and audience allows us to decode the parable, the result of which was this. Jesus tells a story about a king who represents, at that deeper level, God, the king's son who represents Jesus, and a wedding banquet, which represents the messianic era to come, or as we say at the end of the Nicene Creed, the life of the world to come. Remember, for Jews and early Christians at this time, salvation wasn't something above us in heaven. It was, or is rather, ahead of us as the kingdom of God, something for which we pray every Sunday at the end of the Lord's Prayer. This messianic era, this age of celebration, was the focus and hope of the early Christians. We then learn that the king sent his servants, which stands for his prophets, to invite Israel, and more specifically the leaders of Israel, to the great messianic banquet, celebration, feast. But they do not come. They reject the message, and then they kill the messengers. Not exactly a good precedent for inviting people to a wedding party. They learn, we then learn how the king gets retribution for what has been done to his servants, to his prophets. And that comes in the form of destruction, the destruction of a city, the city being Jerusalem such that not only the people who weren't invited will be destroyed or were destroyed, but also uh, everyone else. God, through the Roman soldiers, 
uh, destroys the city of Jerusalem and burns it to the ground, and that includes, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the temple. Next in the parable, we learn how the king once more uh, has his servants go out into the streets, and these were the, the, uh, uh, the riffraff on the street corners, really. Everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, good and bad, this represents the early uh, mission of the church on the part of the disciples and those who followed to invite everyone indiscriminately to uh, the joy of the kingdom. The wedding hall in turn is filled, only we learn that one of the guests is not wearing a wedding robe. The wedding robe, again deeper level, represents the acknowledgement and acceptance of what it means to live a Christian life. This man, in other words, did not come prepared. He did not take the invitation seriously. And so, in language that is admittedly quite harsh, he is expelled from the party. He is cast out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth which at a deeper level, of course, represents judgment. The parable, in turn, challenges each of us. Are we the wedding guest in the story? Do we take worship and the life of love and service to which we are called seriously? That is the question put to us by the parable last week. This morning, I'd like to talk about our gospel reading for today by asking a different question or set of questions. Here we go. First, what would you say is the most common emotional response people have to the major events and moments in Jesus' ministry? Let me repeat that. What would you say is the most common emotional response people have to the major events and moments of Jesus' ministry. At the first service, I heard confusion. I think I heard joy. In the New Testament, however, the most common response was neither of these. It was amazement. People were amazed. This word appears in the New Testament some 44 times. The Greek word is ethameson from thauma, which means to wonder, and by implication to admire. So marveling, wonder, and amazement, this, in fact, is the most common response to the major events and moments in Jesus' life and ministry. That's the first answer. Now the second question. What typically causes people to be amazed by Jesus according to the Gospels? Again, what typically causes people to be amazed by Jesus according to the Gospels? What do you think? He doesn't follow the party line. What else causes people to be amazed by Jesus? He's people, which is a subcategory of the larger Miracles. The miracles seem to uh, cause people to be amazed and to marvel what Jesus is doing. The word in Greek is diname, which is where we get the word dynamite. It's better translated deeds of power. 
the fireworks of the New Testament. So it's these deeds of power, these fireworks that inspire people in the New Testament to respond to Jesus with amazement and with wonder. Let me give you a few examples. You know all of these. Jesus calms a storm as his disciples huddle in a boat out of fear. Only one of them had tried to walk to Jesus across the water. We heard about him a couple months ago. That is the disciple Peter. His faith was greater than theirs, but he too failed. In response, Jesus calms the storm, causing all of them, Peter included, to marvel or be amazed at what he had done. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw somebody do that, I would probably be amazed too. Yesterday, I was invited to join a couple on their sailboat. And I think to myself, wouldn't they be impressed if I could calm the storms of Seattle? They would indeed be amazed. Here's another one. Jesus causes a fig tree to wither. His disciples respond by way of being amazed. Now, I think this is the most unfair story in the New Testament, right? What on earth did the fig tree do to Jesus to merit being withered? That aside, the disciples again are amazed. We also hear of how Jesus heals a man who cannot speak because this man was possessed. In this instance, it's not the disciples who were amazed, it's the crowds. The crowds were amazed at this incredible act of healing Jesus performed. Now what's fascinating about our gospel reading for today, the audience of which are Pharisees, is that they too were amazed by what Jesus does, or not by what Jesus does, rather, but by what he teaches. By what he teaches. Take a look at the gospel reading for today on the back of your worship bulletin. We learn right at the outset that the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. They butter him up. This is what they do. They, they flatter him. They tell him that he is, uh, that he is uh, teaching the way of God in accordance with truth. They do this to entrap Jesus. They're setting him up. The question is how? How are they setting Jesus up? Well, it's evident in their question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, here's the, here's the predicament. If Jesus says it is not lawful, according to Jewish law, to pay the emperor, then he is a threat to the Roman Empire, a potential revolutionary committing here the beginning of sedition. If, on the other hand, Jesus says you should pay the emperor, you should pay Caesar's, Caesar rather, then the followers of Jesus will be upset. 
So what does Jesus say? Famously, render to the emperor what is the emperor, or render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. What is their response? We see it at the very end there. They were amazed, not by a miracle, but by his teaching. The focus of this teaching seems to be this. If you look at verse 20, the text says, Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? The meaning of that verse is lost in translation. The Greek word here for head is icon, which means image. The image of the emperor on coins. Now, image is a really important word to us as Christians, isn't it? We are made in the image of God. Caesar as well is made in the image of God. All belongs to God. So when Jesus is responding to their questions, he's actually not just evading them by way of an ambiguous answer. He's giving the glory to God and saying, don't get sucked in to the money matters of the world. Don't place your faith in wealth. Out of that, uh, devotion to God should come. So there you have a summary briefly of the story for today. And I want to repeat again their response. They were amazed. They marveled, not at a miracle, but at his teaching. So what about each of us? Are we amazed by Jesus' teachings? Or would it take a miracle for any of them to capture our attention? Now, Martin Luther had very little use for Jesus' miracles. He said, if I had to do without one or the other, either the miracles or the preaching about Christ, I would rather do without the miracles than without the preaching. He uses the term here, works. For the miracles do not help me, but his words give me life, as he himself says. Now, the Gospel of John writes very little about the works of Christ. Luther is right, of course. John only has Jesus perform seven signs, and seven is a symbolic number. It's the number of completion or perfection. The number 666, incidentally, combines uh, a perfect number three with six, which is imperfection, incompletion. So when we're talking about the beast of Revelation, we're talking about the very antithesis of God. 666 versus, you might say, 777. Now, John writes very little about the miracles of Christ, Luther says, but very much about his preaching, while the other evangelists write more about his works and little about his preaching. Therefore, John's gospel, Luther says, is the one fine, true, and chief gospel, and thus far, far to be preferred over the other three and placed high above them. So, too, the letters of St. Paul and St. Peter far surpass the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Martin Luther was no fundamentalist Christian. He clearly prioritized, as is evident here, the preaching about Christ as evident in the Gospel of John because it led us to Christ. And Christ, of course, is the cornerstone, the locus of our salvation. Luther's point, in other words, neither miracles nor teachings 
or let me restate that, neither the miracles nor teachings of Jesus save me, he does. And so the words that point to him, to his person and his work, are what matter. That's why we should focus on him and his death and resurrection. We see the same uh, um, observation made by C.S. Lewis centuries later. But I think Luther and Lewis are missing something big here. For one thing, if the teachings were so unimportant, then why did Matthew, Mark, and Luke spend so much time on them? I mean, in the case of Matthew, if you took out the death and resurrection stories of Jesus, you'd have 26 chapters left over. That suggests to me that something in those pages is worth reading, worth knowing. Maybe sometimes we spend too much time on who Jesus was and what he accomplished when we say things like he died for my sins instead of truly considering his teachings and more specifically their miraculous nature. So this is the point I want to make today, the miraculous teachings of Jesus. I don't want to get there by asking you again some questions. Which of Jesus' teachings speak to you and why? Which of Jesus' teachings speak to you and why? Or which of his teachings shock you and why? Or which of his teachings has changed your perspective or the way you live your life? I know that is impossible or at least very difficult to answer. So let me start by offering three of my own. Ready? Number one, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is such a hard teaching to follow. Have you ever tried to pray for someone you dislike? Love your enemies. When Jesus says you have heard that it was said, he is, of course, talking about the Old Testament, or more specifically, Torah. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then he corrects it. You shall love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we see evidence for this in the Gospel of Luke when, while on the cross, Jesus asks God to forgive those who are crucifying him. Lloyd Gearing, the author of Reimagining God, puts it this way. He writes, it can be said that in fastening on the commandment, not only to love God, but to love one another, including one's enemies, Jesus was unknowingly laying the foundations of a whole new religion. For Jesus went much further in his interpretation of these words than his fellow Jews had been in the habit of doing. As the well-known parable of the Good Samaritan demonstrates, Jesus taught that not only should one treat one's enemy as one's neighbor, but one's enemy might be the very one who shows you how to do it. Ah, I don't like that. That's a teaching that confounds me. Love your enemies. Can you imagine if a drop of this teaching was let or was released into the cauldron of conflict in the Middle East? 
just a drop of that teaching. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Second teaching, Jesus says again in the Gospel of Matthew, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. That teaching confounds me. It stands out to me. Jesus is challenging, again, the Old Testament dictum, an eye for an eye, a tooth for his tooth, saying no, no to that, no to the cycle of, of violence and revenge. Now, some of you may recall, an eye for an eye is our former president, Donald Trump's favorite verse in the Bible. Jesus says no to that here. It's a teaching that should shock and confound us. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth makes the world go blind. Number three, ready for one more? You have to be, you're sitting here. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Now talk about trying to confound Jesus, right? We saw that in our gospel reading for today. Do you know how many laws there are in the Hebrew Bible? 613. So this guy comes along and says, well, Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Now Jesus is forced to choose or condense all 613 laws into one answer. And he says, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Do you see what he just did right there? In just a couple verses he summarized the entire Jewish law. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. What I love about these three teachings is that they all concern the common good. They all concern problems like revenge or vengeance. And they want the common good for people elements of which we practice together in worship every Sunday. For example, when we share the peace, that's a way of rehearsing for life in the world, to be reconciled to others. Jesus didn't just come to die for our sins. He came to teach and declare that the kingdom of God had come, a teaching which, according to Mark 1, astounded those who heard it. He came to transform society, to turn our social and political world upside down. He came to challenge us as well as the way things are, the status quo. And for that, because of that, he paid with his life. 
Now, of course, there's more to the story. The person he was, his death and resurrection, obviously matter too, infinitely so. It's a both and. Yet how often do we hear about his teachings, their novelty, their revolutionary nature, their capacity to transform self and society? Certainly we hear a lot about his miracles, the fireworks of the New Testament, quite easy to be amazed by them. But what about his teachings? This week I challenge you, or for my Seattle Pacific University students here, I give you homework, sorry. I want you to identify one teaching of Jesus that transforms the way you see yourself and or the world around you. One teaching of Jesus that stands out a teaching that transforms potentially the way you see yourself and the world around you. Got it? Great. My next assignment is this. Once you've chosen the teaching, let yourself be amazed as were the crowds, as were his disciples, and even as were the Pharisees. Amen.
please remain standing as you are able for the blessing of the quilts and kits. For those of you who are new to our congregation, this is something we do twice a year. The quilts are made by our sewing and service or quilters group. They are then uh, packed here and through Lutheran World Relief shipped out to those across the world in need. God, our neighbors around the world are in need of hope. Your spirit intercedes on their behalf. Your whispers of hope bring them reassurance. Open our hearts and hands to feel your presence around us in our neighborhoods and with others across the world. God, we give you thanks for the pieces of fabric, thread, the sewing machines, and the items collected for the school kits, personal care kits, baby care kits, and fabric kits. May their presence be a sign of hope. May these quilts wrap our neighbors in unending love, and may these kits give strength to those who struggle against hardship. God, we give thanks for all the hands that fashioned hope into a quilt, for the hands that collected and sorted, for the hands that continually open wider so that no one feels left out. Bless our quilting ministry at Queen Anne Lutheran and all who share in it. God, we ask you to guide the staff and partners at LWR. May their voices and hands be a beacon of hope Keep them safe. Keep them filled with your strength and perseverance. Be with those who pack and deliver these kits. God, be with our neighbors who will receive these gifts, whether or not we know their names or where they live. They are our neighbors, made in your image as we are, children of one humanity. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's loudest whisper of hope and healing to the world. Amen. I invite you to put your hand on a quilt in front of you as we bless them together. Recognizing God's abundant hope, let us be a sign of hope to our neighbors near and far, offering hands to hold and compassion from our hearts, we bless these quilts in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We invite you to be seated now or kneel for the prayers of the church. Uh, <clears throat> Trusting in the transformative power of God's loving spirit, let, it, let us pray for the church, the world, and all in need. Faithful God, your spirit animates the church throughout the world and binds believers near and far in the body of Christ. Equipped us for the work of sharing the gospel in word and deed. Lord, in your mercy. Creating God, the sea roars, the earth rejoices, and the heavens are glad at the wonder of all you have made. Bless the work of ecologists and conservationists 
and all those who safeguard the riches of creation. Lord, in your mercy. Holy God, your kingdom consists of care of the poor and justice for all, as you once worked through the ruler, Cyrus, for the good of your people. Accomplish your purposes through the work of elected leaders and pu public servants. Inspire peace and diplomacy, especially in war-torn areas like the Sudan, the Middle East. Lord, in your mercy. Caring God, you walk with the oppressed, those in despair, the sick, and everyone who suffers. Pour out your abundant mercy on all whom this world has neglected, abandoned, and forgotten, so that they may know your joy. Lord, in your mercy. Life-giving God, our lives belong to you. When earthly idols threaten to lead your church astray, remind us that you alone are the source of our hope. Direct the work of the church, treasurers, counselors, and all who manage financial matters. Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray? God of loving kindness, we pray for each person gathered here this morning, that you bless them, that you be present to them in their joys and sorrows, their heights and depths. We ask especially, uh, or we pray especially for Samuel, for the family of Athena, for Scott, for, Sally's, for Sally, Judy's friend, for Peggy's colleague Kirsten, for the family of Bill and Janet Bush, for Bill Cavanaugh, for Dotsie, for Heidi, Dennis, for the family of Pat, family of Dan, for Matt's mother, for Chris, Jackie, Tara's friend Lena and Ivor, the Richie family, healing for Matthew, John's friend, for Pat, her sister Donna, and niece Kathleen, for Finley, for Richard, Abatash Mulugeta, Jean, Jan, Richard, Barb, Denny, Hildy, Mary, Carol, and Lisa. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Everlasting God, the saints of every age have sung your praise and shared your word. We give you thanks for their witness and pray that we may one day join them as citizens of your unending kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Gracious God, into your hands we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your unending love and amazing grace. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Amen. And our teacher, please rise as you are able.
The peace of Christ be with you always. Let us share a sign of that peace with one another. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And it is right to stand as you are able. It is our duty and delight that we should everywhere and always offer thanks and praise to you, O God, through Jesus Christ, who came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so with the church on earth, all creation, and the host of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. Kingdom, the power, and the glory.
In this tradition, we teach that though Christ is present in all things, he comes to us in a special way where he has been promised, namely the sacrament of bread and wine. If you are receiving today from the commun- uh, from your pews, rather, uh, please take out your communable and I'll commune you shortly. For those who are receiving at the rail once more, please be sure to use sanitizer. If you wish to receive a blessing in place of the Eucharist, simply fold your arms. In this place of grace, all are welcome to the table of grace. Come and taste the joy of God. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. You may be seated.
Please rise as you are able for our post-communion prayer. Gracious God, in you we live and move and have our being. With your word and this meal of grace, you have nourished our life together and renewed us for life in the world. Strengthen us to show your love and serve others in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated for announcements. Welcome once more to worship at Queen Anne Lutheran Church. It is a delight to see each of you here. Today, of course, is a very special day for several reasons. First, uh, we have the, or had the blessing of the quilts, and after, we are asking you to stay if you can to help us pack boxes here in the sanctuary. Would you like to say a word about that? Great. We're hoping five boxes will, five boxes, five quilts will fit in each one of these boxes. If we could fit six or seven, that would be even better. So, Diddy and Don usually will make up our boxes. There's six already to go. 80 quilts, you can do the math. You say, well, how did the church start helping pack the quilts. A different generation of quilters said, we can't do this anymore. Okay, what can't we do? We can't pack the quilts. We physically can't do this. We can make the quilts, we can tie the quilts, but we cannot pack the quilts. So some of us who are a little bit younger said, hmm, why don't we ask other people to help? So this is our ask, once or twice a year, guys, we need help packing these quilts, putting the labels on the boxes. There are different labels this year. LWR is changing the system once again. Putting the labels on the boxes, you still need to be able to count up to six, or whatever the number is that you can put on this box, and the number will need to be on the box. People will say, how many quilts do you have? You know what, guys? It never comes out the same number. That's all we can say. We don't know if some of us can't count or some other, other people can't count. I also have this little envelope. If you didn't pick one up in the narthex, Rich will be glad to give you one because Barbara's going to write a check at some point. Each quilt takes $3.00 to send a quilt to where it's going to be overseas. Those school kits that we brought lots of supplies in for, for each school kit, it takes $2. Rich, how many school kits? Uh, 72. 72. You can do the math. I don't do the math. Remember, that's not my job. Personal care kits. I think he told me 160 personal care kits. 160 towels that Carol kept bringing in. You know, $3.50 to ship a personal care kit. We don't happen to have any baby care kits. If we did, it cost us $2. There's been a request for t-shirts in the bulletin for the last several weeks. Those are those t-shirts you get that are 100% cotton. You wore them to whatever walk you did. And you think, I really don't need this anymore. Barbot makes diapers out of them. She needs them. 
I also noticed in, in the bulletin today, LWR has a different money request. That is separate from the shipping fund. That's two different groups. Lutherans help the neighbors in needs. Thank you. Thank you, Candy. Kyle? Next week, Reformation Sunday, professional trumpet player Boris Northcutt joins us. The following week for All Saints, professional cellist Roberta Hansen Downey joins us. Be here, invite your friends and neighbors and people you don't see in church today. Uh, let's fill the church for two weeks with professional guest musicians. Today's postlude will be really short. You can start boxing. Next week's postlude, nice and long. <laughs> Next week is a big deal. Next two weeks are a big deal in the Lutheran tradition. Uh, we have Reformation Sunday and then All Saints Day. For Reformation Sunday, there will also be a special children's sermon. So uh, on the, the, the meaning of Halloween from a Christian perspective, uh, there may be treats involved. So if you know any little ones who are interested in treats, next Sunday is their Sunday. A special thanks to uh, our guest speaker this morning, Professor Jeff Robbins of Lebanon Valley College in Pennsylvania. He spoke on the topic of fascism, Christian nationalism, and the death of God. And I was uh, told by one member of the church afterward, make sure to mention that the forum attendees were silent for three minutes. That's never happened in the history of forums. It was a really dense presentation, but so worth it. Uh, special thank you to uh, the conversation, uh, for the conversation that followed. We'll take a break from forums for the next couple weeks, and then we'll return uh, with more. There is a forum catalog out in the narthex, or you can check our website if you are interested. Today, there is a youth event for uh, Project Phoenix, pumpkin carving and pizza event. That's four to six at St. John's United uh, Lutheran Church. Uh, there's information about that here in the bulletin. If you know of anybody who might be interested, please encourage them to attend. We have more youth events on the horizon. We're finalizing a list of uh, most popular uh, selections from our youth, and we're looking forward to an exciting uh, year ahead. Finally, two, uh, two other things to highlight. The November Tuesdays community lunch, if you're able, please uh, sign up in the Narthex or you can contact Jim Margard to volunteer. I will be attending at least one of those. It's a really great opportunity for us, uh, as Candy said, uh, Lutherans to put our faith in practice and serve our neighbors in need. Finally, Young Adult, Young Adult Bible Fellowship, we have... Uh, we have again uh, about, we had about seven people this last Wednesday. The topic was dinosaurs in the Bible. They choose the topics. I go along with it. They also want aliens in the Bible, so we'll see how that goes. But if you are a student or if you know of someone who is uh, either a student or a, a young adult or both, please encourage them to join us. Our next um, uh, event uh, will be November 1st, the first Wednesday of November. A special thank you so far to Susan Evans and then to Karen McCullough for two wonderful dinners. Uh, they were really appreciated by the, by the uh, students attending.
Finally, I wanted to invite Ingrid to come forward to say a quick word about our stand-up. Okay. All right, stand-up, uh, Braver Angels. This is Ingrid, and she uh, can connect you with Braver Angels, which is uh, mentioned in your worship bulletin. It's an organization dedicated to bringing Americans together to bridge the partisan divide. So if ever there was an important organization, this one is it. So if you are interested in being part of this or connecting with this group, please speak with Ingrid after the service. Please rise now as you are able for the blessing. You leave the sanctuary to re-enter a world not only in need of God's love, but also Jesus' teachings. Take the blessing of God with you as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Amen. Our sending hymn is Let the Just, Justice Flow Like Streams, number 717 in the Red Hymnal. Thank you. 